0: Well, hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Memoirs of a Movie Stand-In Podcast. My name is Greg Anderson, and, uh, well, I want to talk about how movies are made. And more specifically, my experiences working as a stand-in in the movie and television business in, uh, well, primarily in Utah. Now, in this part of the chronology of the story, it's time to talk about the summer of 1997. Now, I talked a little bit on the previous episode about my work on a made-for-TV movie called Marabunta. Well, when that was over, I had oh, a couple of weeks off, and then it was time to go back to work on the Promised Land television series. Yeah, I got to go back and work on season two. Uh, so this was this was nice. Uh, n- nice to have a good, steady job and know that this is going to last for nine or ten months. So, uh, so there we were. Yeah. Um, it's nice to see everybody again. In a, in a way, it just kind of felt like we had uh, barely had much of a break, you know, it just, just right back into it. Um, almost everybody was back. Of course, the cast was back, uh, our six main characters uh, back on the show, and most of the crew was back. Uh, I would say that probably um, gives you a good indication of... Of how much people liked their jobs working on the Promised Land show, that most people decided to come back, and well, there are a couple of people that maybe just weren't invited to come back. And I don't really know how that works, um, but for the most part, everybody was back, uh, either because they were uh, they wanted to come back uh, and they were invited to come back. You know, so anyway. Um, Yeah, so I remember we we started uh, filming, I think the first day I was there, we were filming at a house in one of the nicer neighborhoods on the east side of Salt Lake City. And I believe this house was right next to the house where we uh, did the exteriors and interiors of Molly Arnold's house in the Magic Gate episode from the previous season. But there we were, working on uh, yeah, this, this first episode, Of the new season. Now it turns out it was not the first uh, episode to be broadcast. Uh, Actually, it's kind of weird, you know. Now I'm like Star Wars, where they, (laughs) you know, well the first movie made was Episode Four, and the fourth movie made was Episode One. Now it's sort of like that. Um, What happened is that uh, they had a, a special episode in mind to be the season premiere episode. And this was going to be a crossover episode with Touch by an Angel. So a two-part. It was going to be the season premiere of Touch by an Angel and then, just a few nights later, the season premiere of Promised Land, the continuation of the story. So they had that in mind um, as far as the broadcast schedule was concerned. But um, we weren't quite ready to film that episode uh, first up. So we did two episodes uh, episode 201 and episode 202 before we did episode 203, which was then broadcast before the other two, if that makes any sense. Um, so anyway, we show up and episode 201 is called The Promise. And what it is is, well, in the story, uh, the Green family has gone back back to uh, a town where I guess they used to live, uh, called Sugar Springs, and um, they're there because uh, uh, Russell Green's father, who has died, you know, but but we did see him, or at least a ghost of him, uh, in the mine collapse episode in in season uh, one. So anyway, it's a reference to the fact that his father, Leo Green, is going to be honored in this town. They're going to name a city park after him. It'll be the Leo Green uh, park. And so the, the family has gone to, uh, to be there for when this ceremony takes place to honor, you know, grandpa or dad, as the case may be, or husband, you know, cause we have, uh, three generations of greens in, in, in our, uh, in our story here. Um, so they show up and, um, there's a little bit of a, uh, uh, plot line about a rivalry between russell and some other guy who's his age who still lives in the town um there's a little subplot about how you know this other guy who's still in the town who doesn't particularly like russell he's he's trying to tell them that uh, if they park their airstream trailer right next to the park it's an eyesore and would they please not park here and Uh, just things like that going on. Well, in the midst of all this, uh, Claire gets a phone call or actually gets a a letter, I guess, to, uh, that she needs to call an old friend of hers. And this is a guy, he was sort of a boyfriend, uh, years and years ago. And, uh, they made a pact long, you know, before, before, uh, Claire Green even met Russell, um, she made a pact with her old boyfriend that if, if any of, if either of them ever got in a, a, a real bind, if they really, really needed the other one for some reason to, you know, for advice or moral support or whatever, they had a secret code word that they used. And if they said this code word to each other, then that meant, you know, you promised you were going to drop everything and go help your friend. So this friend calls up, and he's uh, he's got uh, Claire. Or, well, actually, Claire calls him uh, to see, hey, what's going on? And he says, Claire, I really need I really need you to help me out. Come on! And he says the code word, which happens to be submarine. And so she decides. She's going to go ahead and honor her commitment to her old friend from years and years ago. And because he used the secret code word submarine, she's going to drop everything. And she's going to go out there and uh, visit her friend and uh, and help him out with whatever it happens to be that he's, uh, that he's going through. So Russell reluctantly uh, takes her to the bus station so she can catch a bus and go... Uh, Go be with her old friend to 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 help him out with whatever he needs, and uh, it's really bothering Russell. And to the point where he finally decides he's going to go out there uh, to wherever this friend is, and he's going to be there too. And so the two of them are you know, gonna help this other friend through whatever his problem is, and. Uh, <laughs> It already sounds like it's not a very interesting story, doesn't it? Well, in the meantime, so so you've got the the green family spread out here. Grandma and the and the and the three grandchildren are with the airstream trailer back in Sugar Springs for waiting for the day when this park is going to be dedicated. Russell and Claire are gone and they're uh, out there helping uh, uh Claire's old friend and um and yeah, um not the most exciting uh, story. What happens is, it turns out that the old friend, the, his big dilemma was that uh, it's, a, it's a Vietnam thing. When he was in Vietnam, he ordered, uh, you know, the firebombing of some village, and then it turns out there was a, a kid from the village who was uh, who survived, and, and he ended up adopting the kid, and now the kid is like, you know, college age, and the kid. Um found out that he had a long lost sister back in vietnam and he 's going back to Vietnam to visit his sister uh meantime the the kid who was in college never knew the true circumstances of what happened to his village. He never realized uh, that his his own adopted father um wiped out the whole village and uh, and the father's feeling really guilty about this' because, and he knows that as soon as his uh uh, adopted son goes back to Vietnam. He's going to learn the truth. And how's he going to deal with this? And so it's kind of this uh, convoluted story there. I think for me, the most significant part of this p- particular episode was the fact that we established that Claire was in the USO back in the day before she met Russell. And this her, this old friend of hers was in the army. Um, and and there's a there's a moment in there that's played like a flashback where he's just uh, been injured and she's like in an army hospital like a mash hospital uh, like in Vietnam so all of a sudden <laughs> if you think about it too hard the pieces of Claire's life story they just don't seem to add up it's just, it's just too much i mean claire she <sighs> Let's let's just establish some of the facts we know about Claire. She has a master's degree in education. Now, um if she has a master's degree in education, I ask myself then why uh, are they totally devastated when Russell loses his job? You'd think with a master's degree, you know, she could become a school principal somewhere, you know, she must, she would have some opportunities to work. But they treated it in the, in the early episodes of Promised Land as though because Russell lost his job, the family is financially devastated. So all of a sudden that doesn't add up, but it wasn't until, uh, it wasn't in the very first episode. It was a few episodes in before we had some mention of the fact that Claire has, has a master's degree in education. All right. So there's that. But the other thing about Claire is she was in the USO. Um, she has, she was in Vietnam herself somehow, Uh, she went to Woodstock. She, uh, traveled around the country as a Graham Riley groupie, um, you know, but there's a lot of history in this woman. Uh, it's, it's just, it's a little much, I think. Uh, well, anyway, so they, they, they work it out. They help the uh, adoptive son to realize that, uh, you know, his adoptive father still loves him and. And he's sorry for what he did, and and but it's all going to be okay. And, you know, you don't have to break up the family and uh, go enjoy your time at Vietnam. And they end up going back to uh, Sugar Springs in time for the park dedication and and all that happens. So, uh, as far as behind the scenes, my memory of working on this show as a stand-in. Well, number one, as I mentioned, uh, the show was was back for a second season. So, for a lot of the guys on the crew who were work, who were used to working in Utah they were used to working on a feature film here and there you know they they'd be able to work for you know a couple of months on something and then move on to a movie of the week for a couple of months and it was going from job to job to job so the fact that it was this TV series there had been other shows done in in Utah um over the previous few years a lot of them only did 9 episodes or 13 episodes and then they were they were canceled. So even if you got a job on a TV series, it was still only just a just, you know, 3 or 4 months of work and then it might be over anyway. And so the fact that Promised Land had done an entire season and now was coming back strong for a second season, a bunch of these guys were excited about the job security that they had all of a sudden that they maybe weren't used to having. So I remember one of the first days standing around the next to the craft service table and we had the camera operator and the gaffer and the key grip were all just standing there talking to each other, you know, how was your summer and all this kind of stuff. But at one point when I stumbled into the conversation, they were all talking about the stuff they had purchased. <laughs> so I think the gaffer had a brand new car. Um, the camera operator had bought a brand new Suburban and a uh, and a house. He bought a house in Salt Lake City because the previous season he was just sort of, you know, a transplant from Los Angeles. But he decided to buy a house in Salt Lake City. Uh, and then the Key Grip had bought like one of those big old Ford Excursions. So they're all standing around shooting the breeze, talking about the, all this stuff that they bought. <laughs> and I remember just trying to be a smart aleck. I said, wow, that, this sounds great. I should try and get a job where you guys work. The irony, of course, being that I did have a job where they worked, but because I wasn't like the head of my department, and being a stand-in is not the most prestigious job you can get, you know, that it didn't matter that I had a job at the same place where they were working, because I just, you know, I still didn't have a lot of money to, to go out and buy a house, you know, and stuff like that, so... Uh, okay, that's one memory. The other thing is uh, we're working with Michael Schultz, and Michael Schultz is a great director. Really knows what he's doing, and just gets good good work uh, out of the people that he's directing. Um, Michael Schultz also is, is a very up to date guy when it comes to gadgets and things. He always has neat little gadgets, and so um, I I'd sort of forgotten this about him. But you know, when you're director on uh, on movies and TV shows. Uh, one of the things you often have uh, at any given time is a little headset, like, you know, like earphones, like you'd have on a uh, uh, the old Walkman or, or, or something like that. Just a lightweight uh, uh, headphones. And so when, when a scene is being filmed, um, the director would have a set of headphones and he'd, he'd be listening in to the, to the sound system being used to record the dialogue. The sound man's got his recorder over there, and he's got some sort of uh, system, maybe even a wireless uh, short, range, short range transmitter, that goes to the director, so the director can hear exactly what's being recorded, and uh, while he's directing. So uh, it's just common to see a director with uh, with a set of headphones just sort of draped around his neck throughout the day, um, and so at one point uh, during a, a brief break in filming. I noticed Michael Schultz was uh outside the house where we were filming and he was just kind of pacing back and forth next to the house and he was talking. He was by himself, but he was talking as he's walking back and forth and I and I thought for a second, well, maybe he's just kind of going over the scene in his mind trying to figure out how it's going to play out. Maybe he's just uh kind of repeating some dialogue. Uh, and I thought, well, that's a little eccentric. You know, you don't often see that, but if that's his his way of working, that's fine. And at one point, I, I, you know, I just overheard some of what he was saying. I said, no, that's not in the script. And it sounded like he was having a conversation with somebody, but he was alone. <laughs> He's walking back, and I just thought all right, you know, we've worked with Michael before, and he's a nice guy and stuff, but maybe he's just a little eccentric. Maybe there's just something about him, and I'm just not gonna, whatever, you know, I'm just gonna ignore this, because I don't understand what he's doing, but it's a little strange to me. Well, it wasn't until uh, a short time later that I saw that he had a cell phone, with a little earpiece. And, you know, this is 1997, so this is still kind of new technology at this point. He had a hands-free device, but it was just a little earbud with a with a microphone built into the cable that went down into his phone. so what i had what I had actually observed when he was pacing back and forth next to the house talking to himself was that he was using a hands-free device. I couldn't see the cell phone. And because it was an earphone, I didn't think twice about it. I thought maybe it was just left over from when he was observing filming. But he was actually talking to someone on his cell phone while he was pacing back and forth uh, next to the house and so as soon as i realized that what was was what was going on i i immediately thought okay so michael schultz is not a strange eccentric guy who talks to himself in fact he's that cool gadget guy who has all the neat gear and so i suddenly wanted i really really wanted a little hands-free device for my cell phone so that i could walk back and forth next to the house and have people wonder who in the, what in the world he's talking to himself uh, I, I thought, oh, that was so cool. So, that's one memory from when we were working on that particular episode. The first time I'd seen a hands free device for a cell phone, and I thought it was the coolest thing ever, uh, courtesy of Michael Schultz, the uh, wonderful director that we were working with. Now, uh, this particular episode, we were all along what's called the Wasatch Front uh, in the Salt Lake uh, area, general Salt Lake City area we had the Leo green park. Um, we used a park on the West side of Ogden, Utah. So we went, uh, we were going, you know, from, um, from Salt Lake city. Uh, most of the crew was in the general Salt Lake city area. They had to go all the way up to Ogden to do those scenes. And then there was one day we went all the way clear down to a town called Payson, Utah, which is, um, you know it's almost like a 2 hour drive between Ogden and Payson so so they you know they had all the Ogden stuff um um like 3 days in a row in Ogden and then just one day we all had to run down to Payson and uh and film down there we we used uh uh out in, on the outskirts of Payson there was a field and that's where they set up this mash unit for those scenes that we were doing which was pretty amazing um, it, in a way it, it looked just like, uh, the set from the show MASH, you know, they had the tents up and, and they had Jeeps running around and it was a really, uh, really neat, uh, uh recreation of, of how that stuff would all look. And so I, I was really impressed by that. Um, and then we had like the flashback of the USO, there was a USO dance. And so we did that at our studio, um in 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 salt Lake so it's a lot of running around for this particular episode, and uh probably the the most extreme as far as we all the the distance between Ogden and Payson that were all part of this one episode that we were doing I don't know that we ever filmed anything uh farther north than like the north side of Ogden there's a place called Kurtz drive in um that that's probably the farthest north we ever went to do anything for the promised land show, but that wasn't until the, the third season, I guess. And then Payson being the farthest South uh, without us officially going on location and having our, you know, base of operations be outside of, uh, of Salt Lake city. So, uh, yeah. So that's okay. So some memories on, uh, working on the show. Otherwise, you know, it was just kind of business as usual. It was good to see all the cast and crew back and we all sort of knew what we were doing. Nothing, um, uh, nothing real out of the ordinary there. Spectacular. Um, and a good way to kind of, to kick off the, the new season because it was the middle of the summer and unlike the previous summer when we were out in the middle of the desert, literally in the middle of the desert, in the middle of the summer filming stuff it was nice to be at a park that had trees with shade and stuff in the middle of the hot summer and uh, and do a significant amount of filming for this uh this first episode that way so um yeah so that's my memories of working on um the first episode of the second season of Promised Land for the CBS Television network. So, in the next episode of this podcast, I'll tell you about working on episode two hundred two, where we got to work with Ned Ryerson from the Groundhog Day movies. But I'll tell you about that later, and then uh, we'll just jump right uh, into the rest of uh, season two of Promised Land. Now, I'll just—I've been watching some of these uh, shows as I've tried to refresh my memory of working on the on uh, the Promised Land series, and I got to tell you, it's. Um, Season one, um, there were a lot of sad episodes, a lot of heavy stuff. You know, Nathaniel's mother gets killed and, and you know, and Josh gets shot uh, by drive-by gang shooters. And, you know, it's all, all this kind of real heavy stuff. I think the second season of Promised Land, is for, from a viewer's standpoint, was probably the most fun to watch. The stories were not quite so heavy and, you know, down. There were some lighthearted stuff, some fun stuff, um, still entertaining, still emotional, still touching um, things to watch, but just not so heavy. So I really enjoyed uh, the whole second season, really, from the standpoint of just fun episodes to watch. Uh, overall, second season was the best one in that regard. Another thing that I'm, I'm just... Picking up on as I watched my old tapes of uh, of Promised Land that I have, it's kind of I analyze. Well, gee, what are what are they, uh, what are they showing for advertisements? Uh, you know, back in nineteen ninety seven, and it's interesting. The Promised Land uh, sponsors were like. You know, Campbell's Soup and uh, Ivory Soap and just stuff like that. Just r- nice, gentle stuff. And I think of the stuff we have today on television, you know, the Viagra commercials. And, you know, <laughs> you know all these just really kind of uh, icky, kind of icky stuff That's uh, that you that just don't think twice about seeing those kind of ads on, on TV today. Whereas just back in 1997, which wasn't that long ago. Um, the ads were just much more innocent and wholesome. And, you know, it's, it's Sears and, and Kmart and, uh, you know, Campbell's soup. It's just all good stuff. These commercials that you see during a promised land broadcast. That's nice. You know, I think I'll go out and buy some Campbell's soup. That's great. You know, I, I don't want to go out and buy Viagra. Ooh, don't even make me think about that. Eww. So anyway, uh, yeah, okay, a few thoughts. Okay, um, let's wrap this up, and uh, you you can listen for another episode uh, on a Thursday night at 8, 7 central. I I try to put out new episodes of the Memoirs of a Movie Stand-In podcast Thursday nights at 8, 7 central. Now, I've been a little busy the last uh, couple of months, and I haven't necessarily had a brand-new episode every Thursday night. So if I go a couple of weeks, you know, like maybe every other Thursday night, I'll have a new episode out. I'll try to keep up with this. But Thursday nights at 8, 7 Central is when you should look for new episodes of uh, the memoirs of a movie stand-in podcast. And uh, that's in honor of the the schedule that uh, uh, CBS had us uh, doing, Promised Land. uh. Well, the new episodes of Promised Land... Starting the second season, were, we're available on Thursday nights at 8, 7 central every week. So that's, uh, that's why I've got that schedule going. And I should talk about that in the next podcast as well. Uh, the fact that we were moving to Thursday nights meant we were up against the show Friends. What, are they trying to kill us, putting us up against that kind of competition? Well, I'll, we'll talk about that. I have a few things to say about that in the next episode. So if you're looking for the uh, official show notes for the memoirs of a movie stand-in podcast, just look at uh, utahstandin.blogspot.com. And if you want to send me any nice email, friendly email, about stuff like Campbell's Soup and Kmart, gentle, fun, nice stuff, uh, my email address is moviestandin at gmail.com. Okay. And we'll see you next time on the Memoirs of a Movie Stand-In Podcast.